Good afternoon or good evening whenever you guys are watching this thing. Uh, I won't say anything more than uh, Joe's already said. It is a privilege to get to talk to you all about something that uh, is near and dear to my heart, seeing the Great Commission accomplished. And we're only going to do that as people step forward uh, and dedicate their lives, uh, big chunks of their lives, and the sacrifices that go with it to see the Great Commission fulfilled. I just want to back up a little bit. Joe's given a part of my bio. I wasn't planning on saying that much. Uh, But I got saved when I was 17 years old. I was a kid in San Diego. And I had an incredible youth pastor, and uh, he taught me and hundreds of other young people about Christ's command to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, I was rocked by the time uh, I was a Christian for three months. Uh, he had uh, basically put me in a half Nelson, slammed me to the mat, and forced me to fill out an application for career missionary service. We didn't know there was any other kind of service. Uh, uh, this youth pastor, Vaughn, he didn't even allow short-term missions to be talked about. He didn't allow missionaries to ta- uh, come in and bring those type of materials. All we knew and all he talked about was give your life give your life. And uh, man, I'm just a kid in love with surfing. I got my, my life ahead of me. And uh, slowly through the teaching of God's word, man, God was prying uh, my fingers off of my plan. Uh, as soon as I got saved, I had guys telling me, Brad, why don't you surf for Jesus? Man, it's a natural fit. You're really good at it. And I love that idea. Man, I, I took that idea and I ran with it. Uh, except for the preaching, uh, we actually called him the youth pastor from hell behind his back because uh, he, he just had a, a, a incredible ability to crush our dreams, our ambitions, our goals, our desires, and to replace them with God's word. And, uh, and so I <clears throat> took that application, filled it out, uh, went off, uh, did a, a few years of Bible training, two years of that, and two years of technical training. 1979, I met my gorgeous wife. We had two little baby boys, uh, Brooks and Brandon at the time, and we headed off to Papua New Guinea. She was 22, I was 23. We were terrified. We'd never gone on a short-term missions trip before. She had godly parents. I had this youth pastor that didn't play by the rules. And uh, we ended up there. Uh, first language you had to learn was uh, Melanesian. This uh, taught me working now. We talked to Zinin. I suppose you put him by yelling and by Naplaharam. That's a thing. And by Hatlali called Seminika, plenty below you believe and come up like this. That's behind by Gotam. Now looking deeper. And by Rasen Kankan Pipi, Sapsasailo, Yablo, you and by Naplo working too. And that was the first language we learned while we were on the coast and just getting our feet wet in the country and figuring things out. As we were learning that language, we were making, uh, I was making trips interior. Uh, to look at the different language groups that were asking for missionaries. And back in the day, that's the way it was. Okay, the world's changed a lot. And again, you got to remember, this is 1979. Uh, It's quite a different world our radius graduates are going into. Uh, we located a group of people. Uh, they were the most backwards, sad, uh, dying out group of people that we had seen. And they put out an incredible plea, please come and live with us. And they did that through interpreters because, of course, I couldn't hear their language. And so uh, my wife and I, we prayed about it for a few days. And based on the fact that Jesus didn't say no, uh, we interpreted that to be a yes. And so we made plans to go and live among them, uh, which we did. Uh, first, I had to go in and build a house. And uh, this is, again, uh, in a location where there's no Home Depot. So we didn't have one one sawn piece of timber in our house. We had a bark floor, we had a thatch roof and I cut down a big chunk of jungle and helicoptered my wife and two little kids uh, back into the jungle. And uh, she did medical work for the Teddies that night. Uh, The next morning uh, she rolls over in bed and she says, honey, I just want you to know I'm pregnant. Oh my gosh. Timing could not have been worse. I, you know, uh, was very unhappy with that, but uh, we built an airstrip and I failed to build it in time. And so uh, we hiked out and had our third child, our little daughter, Natalie. Uh, a few years later, we'd have our fourth child. And so uh, that, that was our family growing up there. 
Uh, it took us seven years to see the first people after building the airstrip. Uh, then we began the, the arduous task of uh, learning their language and culture to the point where we can make complete sense to them and really encapsulate the gospel, push the unchanging gospel through the grid that is the Itedi cultural worldview. After seven years among them, we saw our first believers embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would take another 13 years, uh, just daily teaching, mentoring, guiding, leading, finally laying hands on the first Itedi elders and uh, that encapsulated our 20 years among the Teddies. Um, honestly, we look back on the sacrifices and uh, we nearly lost all three of our boys uh, to one thing or another. Uh, uh, 24 years of our parenting, our precious parenting years, uh, our kids were in the boarding schools. Uh, these are hard things. Uh, they were uh, decisions that we had to make at the time. And uh, it, it, totaling it all up, I'd do it again. I'd absolutely do it again. What a privilege, what an honor uh, to get to be there when the first Teddies uh, understood the message of salvation. Uh, I thank God for that youth pastor uh, who knew uh, that getting people started is the hardest thing. Walking away from your dream, your goal, your ambition uh, is absolutely the hardest thing in this whole equation. Uh, and so this evening, afternoon, I want to talk about why do people uh, with great careers, and I'm looking at a graduate who graduated a couple days ago, man, ran his own security firm, uh, man, DEA agent, you know, four, four kids pulling them out of school, uh, other people that have uh, left behind stockbroker careers, medical careers, oil careers, executives and oil workers, uh, great careers, great families, nurses, uh, many uh, sharp individuals uh, that have stepped away from many, many things they could be doing to be a gospel ambassador. Why do people do that? And there's a lot of reasons that people get started, okay? Uh, sometimes people like to travel. Sometimes they're bored at home. Sometimes, you know, A, a to Z. But at the end of the day, the only reason that people are gonna stay the course is because the word of God has gripped them. They've seen that this is what their savior is all about. Even as James in Acts chapter 15, God's calling out a people from among the Gentiles. And we wanna be a part of that. This is the thing he's all about. So basically uh, from this point on, everything I'm gonna be saying is pretty much plagiarism. Things that my youth pastor taught me when I was a brand new Christian. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 26. And we'll begin to see it there. This, not just infatuation, but this focus, this very deliberate, passionate clarity that Jesus talks about at the end of his life. And it's important as we get into this to realize that when Jesus was here in his 30 years of, 30 years of life, 33, the, 30, the three years of ministry overall, uh, he talked about many different topics. He talked about my responsibility to my wife, my children, my finances, my church, my government, a lot of responsibilities uh, that Jesus addressed. But at the end of his life, he had one thing that he was coming back to again and again and again. His outstanding orders. My dad was 45 years in the Navy. I know a lot about orders. You got contravening orders. You got outstanding orders. You got last orders. And these last orders are the ones that supersede everything else. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And so Jesus mentions this location here in Matthew chapter 26, and, and it's kind of popping up out of nowhere. What's he talking about Galilee for? Well, we get a little bit more insight, turn over <clears throat> a couple chapters later, we get to Matthew chapter 28, and uh, Jesus has been crucified, buried, resurrected, and uh, the two ladies are going to the tomb uh, early on the Sabbath, and uh, the angel meets up with them, verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. 
He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And so you've got this next reference kind of out of the blue to Galilee. Okay, what what the heck's going to happen in Galilee? Why the specificness? Verse eight, so the women hurried away from the tomb, yet afraid, yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Three times. Come on, guys. Something epic is going to happen in Galilee. There is no more foretold meeting in scripture. This is so unique. Search your Bibles. You won't find it. This is the most foretold meeting in scripture that we see here. We don't know exactly how long uh, it was between uh, this day where the messages come twice to go to Galilee, uh, but maybe a couple weeks, three weeks, possibly even. But we pick up in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So he had somehow in there that we're not privy to, he had given them a specific mountain that they were supposed to meet him at. And they go to that particular mountain. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. I'm so grateful that Matthew put that in there. That Matthew uh, understands the trickiness of the human heart. Here's the risen Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't beat his face off. He was recognizable. And yet they still doubted. They'd seen him die on that cross. They knew for a fact that he'd been buried in that tomb. Romans are pretty good at crucifying people. There wasn't a doubt that he had been killed on that cross. And yet here he is. But they're still doubting. That's... You know what? I've had so many people tell me, uh, as you know, Joe was saying, we've been back and across, across America and other continents, actually, uh, talking about missions and the need for God's people to take the Great Commission seriously. And I have had countless people tell me, if I only knew, if I only knew. Because the reality is, Moses is on that mountain in Sinai, and that bush starts burning it up. And, and Moses knew it was the voice of God. The voice of God says, take off your sandals because it's holy ground. And he doesn't say, oh, really? Is it you, God? He knew it was God. He absolutely knew it was God. And then he says, eventually, he says, now I want you to go back to Egypt and get my people out of there. What does he do? Does he say, okay, God? He knew it was God. And then he starts playing 20 questions with God. Uh, I don't know your name. Uh, I'm not really good with my tongue. Uh, and he start, God has to slam him to the mat. And he taps out too. And he ends up going back there. Jonah got the same message. Go over there to, to Nineveh and preach against it. He knew it was God. He absolutely knew it was God. And he went 180 degrees the opposite direction. He goes down to Tarshish. You know what's cool about that story? It says this, <clears throat> that when he got to Tarshish, he found a boat heading away. And you know what? I've heard so, God provided the means. God, God allowed me to find a ship going the opposite direction. And that, it says too that uh, he had the money and he paid the fee, the fare to go on that ship. God provided the fee even. And then everybody else is freaking out when the storm comes up and Jonah goes down inside the hold of the ship. And what happens? They're freaking out. Jonah goes to sleep. Jonah had a peace about it. Jonah had a piece about it. We can justify anything we want to do. We can get out of any absolutely clear order the Lord puts to us. I'm so grateful for a youth pastor who pushed this past those things. Then Jesus came in verse 18. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus had a few preambles. He had a few set phrases. Very, very, I say unto you, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But this is the most powerful preamble in scripture. He is saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Everything that you can see, everything you can't see, all that authority is here incarnate in me. Jesus knew how to have a conversation. He knew how to walk down the dusty roads with his disciples. Hey, who do men say that I am? And I'd love to be privy to some of the other casual conversations. But at this point, Jesus is not having a casual conversation. In essence, the tone of his voice here is Peter, James, John, sit down and shut up. I'm giving orders. I'm not looking for suggestions, not looking for feedback. I'm not looking for your uh, thoughts on what I'm saying here. I'm giving orders and all authority and heaven and earth resides with me. Verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go. I'll just, I'm going to stay there because I know other guys are going to hit other aspects of this verse. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There's nothing given about that. It's an absolute command to leave your homes. You leave the land of Israel. And we have to put ourselves in the, in the place of these Jews that are listening to Jesus. For about 1800 years, the overriding command before Israel was stay in the land, stay in the land, obey the laws and I will bless you. And the nations will come to you and they will see the blessings of walking before the one and only God of heaven. Now at this very moment in time, Jesus turns about 1800 years of Jewish history on its head. New rules. No longer are you people of the land. You're people that are going to them. You're ascent people. You're pilgrims, sojourners, strangers, as Peter would write later on. We don't have the right to have roots. Remember when we first got to New Guinea, my dear wife, she's from the Midwest. And uh, she, uh, she had roots uh, from the Midwest that went down all the way through the planet, to, I swear, to China. Uh, every Sunday at 11 o'clock, envisioning uh, the elders of her church coming down and taking up the offering. And uh, she'd be in tears, and, and it was just hard for her because she had such roots. Uh, I, I didn't have those same type of roots, okay? It wasn't as difficult on me, and no matter where you're at in that spectrum. The fact is, folks, we don't, have, we don't have the right to have roots here. We're not people of here. We rest in heaven. We retire in heaven. We get our reward in heaven. And to the degree that we manipulate so that we can have a little bit of heaven here and a little bit more of heaven there, we'll lose. We will lose. We will lose. Jesus is saying, risk it all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. You leave your homes. You go to them. And folks, I know that we have many nationalities coming to the USA. But of the 3,100 languages that are still untouched by the gospel, they don't have the means. They're not going to make it here. These overriding, this overriding command still is incumbent on us. This is radical stuff to these guys. This is just radical. They never heard anything like it. There'd never been a prophet, a priest, <clears throat> any spiritual leader that talked about leave Israel and go. You had to one-off individuals such as Jonah that were commanded to do this. But as a people, people rightly related to God, this is just radical stuff. And Jesus isn't talking about, I want you to be willing to go. I want you to think about going. I want you to consider going. I remember when Beth and I got back, uh, 
I was you know, teaching at one of the uh, larger Christian colleges in Southern California. It was a real honor to do that. It was very illuminating to me. And after a couple of years, uh, students uh, figured out I was one of the missions profs. And uh, that was an interesting position to be in. And, uh, and so uh, guys would come to my class, the first day of class and second day of class. And they'd say, they'd say these ingratiating things. Uh, things like, uh, hey, Professor Buse, I just want you to know I'm really considering missions. Hey, Professor Hughes, I'm really thinking about missions. I'm really praying about missions and all kinds of ways to uh, get close to this idea. And they all sounded kind of hollow to me. And uh, I'm driving down the freeway coming home uh, one night and it hit me. It would be kind of like me saying to Beth, hey, Beth, I want you to know I'm, I'm considering being faithful to you. Beth, I want you to know uh, I'm really examining the concept of being faithful to you. I'm really praying about being faithful to you. Well, I won't get too graphic here, but I will say this. Uh, my wife would have nothing of it. I'll just leave it there. Uh, it I would be in gigantic marriage jeopardizing trouble were I to use those terms. Because my wife and most every wife I've ever met knows the difference between considering, praying, looking into, examining, and commitment to the concept. And Jesus is not asking us to look into, pray about, dabble with the idea. He wants a commitment. This is important to me. And it better be important to you if you call yourself my follower. These are his last words. This is his last command. I challenge you to find a different one. It supersedes all the other ones. And it doesn't exclude being a good husband and a good citizen and a good employer and a good employee. But we better measure ourselves by the last criteria he gave. What part are we having individually? I know that many of you guys that are watching this, you've aged out of being frontline participants in this. But there's a lot of you that haven't aged out. And you better consider these words. Turn over to Mark chapter 16. We'll see Mark's version of it in Mark 16, how he records these last words. And it's more than interesting that at the end of every one of the gospels, this is there by these individual gospel writers. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. That's Mark's version. Turn over to Luke chapter 24. Let's see how Luke puts it here. Luke chapter 24, verse 45. Now, we need to make note of the locations. Uh, Matthew and Mark are on a mountainside in Galilee. Luke is inside a room somewhere in the city of Jerusalem. Okay, we don't, we're not given any more specific, specificness than that. But it says this in verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Just think of that. Jesus comes in amongst them and he opens up their minds so they can understand the scriptures. And I, and I I honestly can't tell you exactly what that means. What would it be like, though, to be in a Bible study that Jesus is leading? Now, here's the Bible study Jesus is leading. And just think of the many topics he could have focused on. My gosh, just go to the book of Proverbs and you look at wisdom, you look at finances, you look at work ethic, you look at parenting, you look at you know, discipline. Uh, there's endless topics just in Proverbs. Jesus looks at the whole of the Old Testament scriptures from Genesis to Malachi, and he picks out two. He picks out two topics. What are the two topics that Jesus picks out when he gets to lead the Bible study? Here they are, verse 46. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. What's that code for? What's that shorthand for? The gospel. That's the most important message. You thought I was going to say missions. Mm -mm. The gospel. <laughs> that we can be forgiven. We can have new life. God sent his son. We are his sons and daughters now. Nothing comes close to that. But the one that Jesus pulls out 
as of secondary importance right after the gospel. Verse 47, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And it did begin at Jerusalem. There are churches in Jerusalem and it has not gotten to all nations. And that word nations there is the same word nations that we see in Matthew chapter 28. Pantata ethne, all the ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples. And we could go back into Genesis 11 and see the place that language had in disseminating, dispersing the people. And the very next chapter in Genesis chapter 12, we see that God now, he's gonna use language as the way to get people back. He wants, he, and he promises Abraham, you're gonna be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Well, what do families have in common? Religion, not always. Geography, sometimes they get separated. Uh, Location, no. Uh, Careers, no. Uh, There's a lot of things that can separate families. But families that are raised with one mother and one father all speak the same language. You're going to be a blessing to all families. We'll see this running thread throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is not calling us to just go to the world. There's a specificness, a strategicness about this. Jesus focuses on two things, the cross and the commission to take the cross. He could have focused on a lot of other things. Could have focused on the family. Is that a jab at the family? Not at all. I love my family. I got four kids and hundred grandkids and I love them all. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I, I recall so clearly, I don't have, actually have a hundred grandkids. Uh, I recall real clearly my wife and I being on a furlough, I think it's our second furlough. And uh, we were going to uh, go and, and attend an event uh, where a very well-known uh, individual is going to be honored. And he has done much to uh, help the family out in the United States of America. And uh, he was up on the die and accepting uh, this re- award. And he deserved it. And uh, it was an honor to be there. But in the course of his remarks, uh, he, he stood up and he, he talked for about 15 minutes. And if you're talking like this or any other place for 15 minutes, you're always going to say a sentence that you probably regret later on. I've said a couple already. But he made this sentence and I'm sitting out there with like 300 people and uh, I had the typical cold chicken. He says this sentence. He says, uh, make it your focus to raise godly kids for the Lord Jesus. Make it your highest goal in life to raise kids for the Lord Jesus. I'm thinking people start standing up. They start clapping, you know, and I don't want to be the one moron sitting down. And so I stand up, I'm clapping too, but I can't get this out of my head. Make it your highest goal in life to raise Christian kids for the Lord, really? And, you know, you listen to the rest of the marks, had the evening, driving back home, it hit me. It hit me. Make it your highest goal in Christian life to raise Christian kids for the Lord. Let's like say, make it your highest goal in life not to sell cocaine. And you over there, make it your highest goal in life not to burn down the Capitol building. And you over there, make it your highest goal in life not to shoot the president. That's like, duh, that's like Christianity one-on-one. Of course we don't do those things. Of course we don't do those things. And of course we raise our kids to live for the Lord Jesus. Duh, but is that our highest goal in life? After that, we just sit back and man, done our job. We don't have the right to carve out what our highest goal is. Our highest goal was given to us by the one who hung on a cross and died for us. And that is to make sure every tongue, every tribe, every nation has access to the message of salvation. That's your highest goal. Where you fit into that, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, if you're not gonna fit into that, you're just gonna be chasing your tail like that little hamster on the treadmill, looking for satisfaction, looking for meaning, looking for something to do with your life, looking, 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 and you'll meet your savior someday. The one who spoke with such great clarity, 
they'll say, why? Why'd you do what you did? Why did you live for what you did? John, we won't turn here. John chapter 20, again, at the end of gospel of John, as the father hath sent me, so send I you. We're a sent people. Again and again, Jesus comes back to that. We go over to Acts chapter one. And Jesus is now, this is his very, 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 very last interaction with his disciples before his ascension. And uh, he's been with them now for about 40 days. And at the end of this time, this is not on the mountainside in Galilee. This is not in a room in Jerusalem. This is a third location. Yeah, Jesus is kind of Johnny one note here. And the writers are very specific. This is happening in three very separate locations. Don't think this is some slur and just a, you know, error in transcription. No, this is clear. This is the third location. And they came to him. This is the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. Okay. And that's given to us later on in the text. But in chapter one, verse six says this. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Nothing wrong with that question. Man, that was a really good question. Uh, based on Old Testament prophets, ma- major and minor, co- following the coming of the Messiah, Israel was to be restored to national greatness. So now you're going to do it? That was the question on their mind. Now are you going to do it? And they want to have a Bible study on eschatology. They want to study end times. Is there anything wrong with studying end times? Of course not. It's meant to encourage us. Man, we, we want to know these things. They do encourage us. Our Savior is going to come back. Nothing wrong with studying eschatology. But Jesus knew this. The apostle John's standing right there and he knew, John, you're going to get a lot of insight into this. You're going to have a vision and uh, you're going to write a lot lot about that. Uh, There's a guy walking around right now. His name is Saul. He's going to be turned into Paul. He's going to write some things about that. You'll get all you need to know about that. You know what he says to their desire to have a Bible study in end times? He says, nope, not going there, not going there. Because he knew he only had one more thing that he could leave ringing in their ears. And he wasn't going to be talking about end times. And so he replies to their well-intentioned question. And folks, I, I mean this sincerely. The church, I don't believe, has ever been busier. Well, except for these last three months with COVID going around. Uh, that kind of shut things down. But you know what? Generally speaking, we're busy people uh, with our businesses, with our churches, with our Bible studies, with our endeavors, our softball teams. And, and I'm not out to shut any of that down. But the fact is, so much of our busyness doesn't have a point to it. It is not seeing the Great Commission pushed forward. It's not bad efforts, not sinful efforts, just a lot of business. And so they want to have a Bible study and Jesus says, no, we're not talking about eschatology. And he replies to them in verse seven, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Our Savior's last words, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Folks, my sister's lived in Israel for many years. She's traveled around that area. There are churches in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. Those are not metaphors for something else. Those are three actual locations. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria have been reached. The gospel is available. We're not talking about reached as, there, as in no needs. That is not the case. There's always needs. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're going to go back into Luke and look at the issue of needs. Because sometimes that gets very fuzzy, very blurry. It makes us blurry. Uh, it causes a lot of confusion. There's needs here. 
Uh, that's one I, I've heard many times. But Jesus is clear. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There's only one part of that fourfold command that's still outstanding. To the ends of the earth. This afternoon, this evening, 3,100 languages. They can hike around the planet and they can't find anyone to share the gospel in a meaningful way with them. Nobody who knows their language knows the Lord. 3,100 languages on this planet. There's not a healthy church there. There's no gospel lighthouse there. Let's talk about this issue of needs because that can be confusing. If you would turn back to Luke chapter four, I think this is helpful for uh, getting some perspective on how did Jesus uh, look at the whole issue of neediness. Luke chapter four, Jesus has been uh, teaching in the town uh, <clears throat> there for a few days at Damascus. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, lost my train of thought. Anyway, Jesus has been teaching the Capernaum, sorry, uh, for quite a few days, uh, meeting needs, casting out demons, healing people, uh, feeding people, teaching. And uh, in verse 42 of chapter four of Luke, it says this, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Jesus, stay here. There's more needs here. No doubt there were. There were more healings to be done. There were more, uh, much more of his teaching. They wanted to hear more people always to feed. There's needs here. But Jesus said this in verse 43, but he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. It's not about meeting all the needs of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Capernaum, and then we move on. That's not the principle we see in scripture. That's not the principle that we see Jesus living out. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter five. We'll close with this or get close to closing. Uh, Revelation chapter five. This is the finished of the, all the redeemed people. There's a couple different ways to look at it. And when we see the 24 elders preceding what's gonna happen, we know those 24 elders stand for the representatives of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the church and Israel. However you wanna look at that, that's fine. But here's what is said, what is written down. And when he, John writing, when he, Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. They did not say you ransom people for God from all over the place. That's a distinction with the difference. Every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you know what's not mentioned in there? The amount. Not that the amount is irrelevant because we'll see a great multitude in Revelation 7, 9. But in this particular passage, the amount isn't the key issue here. It's the diversity of language and culture, language and culture, language and culture. God wants to be honored with every language and don't go down that rabbit hole of, well, what about languages that are, that are extinct? We're not responsible for languages that are extinct. We are responsible for languages that are in existence in this day and age. I can't be held responsible for what happened a hundred years ago or 200 years ago. I'm responsible for this day and age. Am I doing all I can with my life, the lives of my children, my resources to see this great commission accomplished? to see this message of salvation go to every tongue, tribe, and nation. Folks, I do hope that some of you are, are troubled. I hope that some of you maybe don't even like me too much after uh, this uh, time that we've had in the word. I'm fine with that. 
That, that's absolutely fine. But folks, I would encourage you, what do you do after this? What do you do with these scriptures that they better get in your face or else you haven't been listening? What do we do with this? Some of you have aged out, as I said, and that's not a rock, you know, a knock on anybody's age. It's just a reality, as I think has been said a couple of times. Man, learning languages is tough. It, with 23, it was tough. Harder at 33, uh, much more difficult at 43, if, if even possible. Uh, that's why at Radius, hey, we do have lines that we draw. Uh, we don't want people selling homes uh, if they get to a certain age, okay, and walking away from careers. We want to give them a fighting chance to do this thing. So that's a factor. But I'm guessing there's a lot of people in their 20s. And in their 30s that are listening to this, what do you do? First thing, guys, you go to the leadership of your church and you report for duty. Here I am. I've seen what Jesus has said. I have to do this thing unless you tell me no. And you lay it on the elders of your church. Do not become one of those people who makes a unilateral decision on your own to take yourself out of the game. You'll be stunted. Brothers, sisters, you'll be stunted. You'll, you'll look over the shoulder your, the rest of your life. Should I have gone? Shouldn't I have gone? Should I have gone? Shouldn't I have gone? Guys, if you're of an age to where you could actually physically and mentally do this thing, don't make that decision on your own and look over your shoulder for the rest of your years. Get guidance on this thing. It's a gigantic step. And I'm, I'm, I'll be the first one to say, it is not for everyone. Uh, if your elders don't shut you down and we at Radius, uh, we, we see your application, we're gonna ask questions too, if we feel it. And uh, we might even have an interview for you. We're not trying to shove everybody in their 20s and 30s overseas. That is absolutely not the case. But sadly, too many people at that point in their life when they should be making this decision, they should be confronted as my youth pastor confronted me or many other guys uh, have been confronted that are students. Uh, they make a decision in the quietness of their own heart. Mm -mm, not doing it. I, I just don't feel it on my own. I don't know many people, and I love to see the transition as radius students come down and, uh, and they, they begin to see the audacity of this job, the difficulty of this job. And more and more, their motivations get honed from whatever brought them there. The reason they're doing this, we've been commanded. And that's a good enough reason. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for your unchanging word that speaks to us so clearly about your heart and what's highest on your priority list, Lord, to be honored among every tongue, tribe, and nation. Lord God, would you raise up many? Would you raise up a, just an army of men and women that would say no to themselves, say no to their passions, their dreams, their ambitions, their goals, and set them aside and embrace what is your passion, your dream, your ambition, your goal? Lord, we know that we can see the Great Commission accomplished. We can see these 3,100 language groups, not just confronted with the gospel, but Lord, seeing churches raised up among them that would be healthy and multiplying and spreading out the message of your renown. So Lord, it's only gonna happen as you work in the hearts of your people and your people submit to the clarity of your word. Raise up these folks, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.